You're listening to the A Scully Cast, brought to you by www.ascully.com. And here are your hosts, A Scully and Sid Talk. Spider-Man, Spider-Man, does whatever a spider can. Charming. Yeah, how do I... Is that the before the after the show discussion? No, that was a song. Spider-Man. <laughs> oh, yeah. Spider-Man song. Um... That is that song isn't included in the movie we watched today, but not at all. It was included in Sam Raimi's Spider Man. Was it not in the other one either? No, it wasn't. No, oh, maybe it was. The before the after the show discussion, by the way, was pretty nondescript. I don't think you talked about anything important. Are you trying to skip over this section <laughs> of the show? No, I'm saying we didn't actually have a before the. You read some things. Oh yes, yeah, so I know what the discussion was. Mostly the twenty six alphabet of death. ABCs of ABCs death. of death. You and described to me several of the. It's the movie we watched, and we did discuss it on here. Um, yeah, about a year and year and a bit ago. Uh, the ABCs of death two. If you're a fan and you went and watched it and liked it, is coming out on October the first on video on demand, so you can actually see that very shortly. And it's the same thing. They took 26 different directors, and they give them a letter of the alphabet, and they had to make a short film about death. Using the letter from the alphabet. So, uh, yeah, you'll be able to see that soon. So, on to the show. This is After the Show. This is number 342. We've made 342 of these shows. And it is Saturday, September the 6th, 2014. Happy September, everybody. <laughs> the movie we're looking at this week, because After the Show, is a podcast where we review a Blu-ray slash movie, whatever is... Uh, Whatever we decide to look at that week. But this week we're looking at The Amazing Spider-Man 2. It's a 2014 movie. And we did review the prequel to this, The Amazing Spider-Man. Uh, and if you want to listen to that, it is after the show number 250. So but, you can go back and listen to what Sid Talk thought about that movie, <laughs> even then, though she doesn't know she's... No, that, I said, I leaned over to you at one point where I said, you know, I gotta go to the bathroom. We paused and I looked at you and said... I have zero recollection of the first one. I mean, at that point, I literally couldn't pull in my mind one scene. I didn't remember him. I didn't remember Sally. Whatever her name is. Field. Field. <laughs> I just had no... None. I was like... You didn't remember Andrew Garfield as Spider-Man. I really didn't. I was like, uh... You hmm. must have been something wrong. I'm you. wondering if I was uh, not... I don't know. No, I, listened you, to I just listened and you were... Sp- you know what? I just, if, if shit doesn't stick with me, I guess I don't bother remembering it. And that was total blank outness. Maybe I'm getting some horrible disease that uh, makes me forget. Because, I mean, it's not even like, oh, I kind of sort of, it was like, I've never seen it. This story was brand new to me. It was 92 shows ago, so I'll give you a break. 92 It doesn't shows. matter. You, I can discuss movies with you I've seen 20 years ago. True. Only once. Yes. In perfect clarity. So we did review the first Amazing Spider-Man, and uh, you can go and listen to that. Episode 250, it's up there on the server. This is a, this is out now, actually. You can pick this one up now. Thank you for not saying the cloud. I love you for so many things, and that's one of them. It's a PG-13, and it's from our friends at Sony and Marvel. So Sid Talk, The Amazing Spider-Man 2, a synopsis, please. Well, Amazing Spider-Man 2 is apparently a sequel. <laughs> yes. <laughs> 
to but a, for to me, a movie that... <laughs> this is the best case scenario, though, because I don't like comparing movies, if I can't help it or if it doesn't come naturally. Therefore, this is fantastic. This is Spider-Man. Um, uh, graduates from high school. It's like kind of a big stretch there when you're watching the actual people. And is faced yet again, as is Spider-Man throughout all of the telling of Spider-Man, not just movies and whatnot, but with the conflict of personal relationships versus, you know, thwarting the bad guys. And in this one, we get a poor... See, you you champion the underdog people sometimes, like this guy, the Jamie Foxx character, who's like, poor me, nobody pays attention to me, nobody acknowledges me, therefore I'm going to go crazy and be the bad guy. Accidentally acknowledged, but still. I was like, why are you such a doormat? That's my thinking. And then we get the introduction of our new bad guy. And fighting ensues. We, of course, circle around a little about Oscorp and Oz... Borns and there's nothing really that amazing. It's very Spider-Man though. About yeah, it really is. It just doesn't. It doesn't have a really solid like get behind it kind of story to me. So it's um, literally an episode or a what do you call it? An issue of a comic. Yeah. So I um this movie cost them a lot of money to make. It's a really big budget movie, and I heard a lot of negativity around it when it came out uh, in the cinemas, which wasn't that long ago, really. It was the beginning of summer. And I just heard a lot of people say, oh, I didn't like The Amazing Spider-Man 2. Um, you know, it was a bit of a letdown. It was a bit of a letdown. So that was all I really knew about it. I'd not seen a trailer for this movie. I didn't know who the bad guy was. There was All of it was a surprise to me. Right. So that was the only thing I knew, that people were kind of dissing on it. So I watched it today. And I have to pleasantly say, pleasantly surprised, it's a, so much of an improvement over the first one. The f- first Amazing Spider-Man that you don't remember. <laughs> That's why I don't remember. <laughs> and and just... the difference is, that movie, they try to take Spider-Man, and we even said, I listened to a bit of the podcast, and that was our complaint about it. They tried to take Spider-Man and make it mean and moody and dark and brooding, and t- strip away the humour, and... It didn't work for me. Now, interestingly enough, this is the sequel to that movie, and it removes all that, all the stuff that I didn't like, the dark, brooding nature of it. They stripped all that away and went complete Spider-Man's, like, a a wisecracking, Mm -hmm. um, you know, like Spider-Man, like what you expect Spider-Man to be. If you read the... He's also highly emotional. Yeah, and if you read the comics of Spider-Man, he's always a, he's a, you know, he fights the bad guys, but he's got a sense of humour, and he's, you know, he likes to stop kids on the street and, you know, like like he does in this movie. It was more sp- Spider-Man that I know. And I think that was a good idea to do that. Because it really didn't work in that first movie. But then when you watch these two movies together, it might feel really weird. Like, because it's like, oh, we had this idea, it didn't really work, so we changed it. You know, because there's no explanation as to why he's, like, dark and brooding and then he's not. It just starts. And, and it, then he's, like, Spider-Man swinging through the city. He's very... Wisecracky, he's fighting criminals. Uh, funny enough, I, I don't remember the brooding, so I'd have yeah, to. Yeah, that was to, what. That, I had to watch it. There was a lot of scenes in the rain, and it was dark, and he had his hood up, and he was very brooding because something happens in the first one that we all know if we've watched Spider-Man that really affects Peter, 
and he's living through that. Peter Parker is no stranger to emotional distress. No. (laughs) No superhero is. So this movie, um, you know, it starts with this massive special effects. You know, it's... It actually starts with scenes from the first movie that you did remember, interestingly enough. What I remembered was them dropping him off. Right. And yeah. But I don't re- I don't remember the context. I mean, it was like I was if I if you start to show me the other movie, I'm not a fucking idiot. I'm going to remember that I saw it. I'm saying you can't oh. draw you can't pull it up in my mind unless I'm watching it. So then the first scene starts and I'm like that is that's why I was like, yeah, I am our. <laughs> did we put it in the wrong disc? No, I really, I. It starts with a big, you know, a big a bang basically, like, and you see Spider Man in all his glory. It's it's daylight. There's none of that moody stuff going on. It's not first. First, you get the other. Yeah, you do. That, I liked that. Yeah. There's like an interesting like yeah prologue uh, prologue. What, what do you call something at the beginning of a movie? A prologue. First five minutes. Epilogues at the end. Prologues at the beginning. Right. So yeah, and that's quite cool too because it, it actually answers a question mm-hmm. fully and um, it was great to see something played out. You know, I don't want to spoil it because I, I actually was quite surprised that we got to see that. And then, you know, S- Spider-Man in all his glory. It's uh, I, I, I'm guessing that you are going to say you didn't really like the special effects sometimes. No, definitely did not. Because they are, they're not, I've, I've been back and watched original spider and you have too, I think, when it's been on TV. Mm-hmm. Now that one, it's a sign of that time when you they could only do it so good. You want to squint your eyes and be like... It's much better now, but it's still obvious it's not a real person a lot of the time swinging. There's this but, weird, like... <laughs> but then again, he is, he is part spider and a spider moves weirdly, so that's No, the, no, no. That, you, no that's, that's how I give it the... Okay, that's bullshit. Because he doesn't move like a spider. But he I moves thought it actually... like a CGI character that somebody didn't take the time to add enough points to make his body actually move. So he's like this lump of... But aside from that... Every once in a while. That whole first sequence, I was amazed. I was actually... It was like like why I want to be in the movie, watching a movie. Like It was like... Wow, and he's swinging from, you know, and he's going in low in the city. And then there was a camera view where it was, like, on him. Yeah, yeah, that was definitely visceral. And it just looked amazing. Like uh, That's the best of what CGI can do for you. It's like, you can never really do that in life. No. So to do that and give you that sensation is brilliant. But then when you put Spider-Man in the middle of the screen, and he's all weird. You know those bendy things that are like shaped like the Easter Bunny or whatever? They make Spider-Man ones. Yeah, and yeah, you, you kind of bend it, and then you kind of twist it and turn it around. It's all like... I had a Spider-Man one as like. a kid. I had a Spider-Man um, where he's... Like they've like got a wire that. inside, yeah, wire and then you just bend him, and I, he's like all I absolutely roundy. can remember messing with it. So That's what it looks like. Sometimes. Not every time. Because sometimes it's fantastic. But then it's... it. There's this massive, you know, chase sequence with Spider-Man and, you know, guns and cars. So I thought it was amazing. I was like, wow, this is a perfect way to open this movie. And it's clear off the bat, Spider-Man isn't as brooding anymore. He's kind of funny. He's, uh, you know, got over the brooding part of his life. And... Well. I welcome that. Temporarily. And then... Jamie Foxx comes onto the scene, onto the screen. I had no idea he's in it either. And I was like, that's kind of a, one of those Hollywood where, so, where a scriptwriter writes like a really comic booky character because it's very well, larger yeah. than life and um, very stereotypical kind of character. Oh, no, it doesn't sound like a Hollywood writer. It sounds like a comic book writer. Yeah, it does. So, so it fits. 
it fits um, perfectly, I thought. Um, and then we kind of see the, you know, Jamie Foxx is this dude. Unraveling. Spoilers in here. <laughs> Spoilers, everybody. Spider-Man's the good guy. And, Jamie... and everyone else is the bad guy. <laughs> and I, then I, I was like... You everyone said... else who's famous, da, 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 almost, is going to be a bad guy. So I felt for like Jamie Foxx, because is this... Just this dude, and he's like, feels like he's nobody, and it's bubbling inside him, which is how a lot of bad guys end up being bad guys, right? Yeah, exactly. Anger, and it's and he doesn't, he can't control his life because that's just what you know. He's being like his boss comes in, and his boss is just like, yeah, you know. Yeah, because he's a weaselly little fluffy, say nothing, do nothing person, and I don't care that character to me. It's like he kind of deserves what he gets if he's just gonna let everybody bump into him and for. Treat him like shit. I am not a compassionate person most of the time. I don't identify with that personality type. So my mind is, all right, well, you are, you are brooding inside. You might be Mr. Oh, poor me. Inside, you're so angry, you want to rip everybody's heads off. And what do we find out? He wants to kill everyone. Yeah, but I, f- I found Jamie Foxx brought a lot to it. Oh, because, absolutely. Because even as that, like, you know. Absolutely. Even as that character. He elevates Before he's it, the bad guy. Definitely. It's still very... You know, like, I I felt him, he's doing something with it. Like, he's he's owning that character and doing it. And then, when he turns into mm-hmm. the Electro, I felt the, the change of it all. It was really cool, actually. I, I, I can't express how much I love the scene in Central um, Times Square. The whole thing, I was, like, mind-blown that by it. That was good. It was, it was how he looks... Which was amazing looking, like the neon, like, you know, electric has got inside his whole veins and everything. The way he looks, how, you know, when the, he comes into the, into Times Square and he's not actually a bad guy yet. He's, but he's got the power and they're shooting at him and, and you, you can feel like the, he's conflicted, like the, don't shoot at me. You don't know, like, you know, and then he realizes that it doesn't have to be this way. I don't think he ever ultimately is a bad guy. To no. be honest, he just gets his own self-pity, takes him over, and all he wants to do is lash out instead of, throughout the rest of the 40 years of his life, having spoken up. Well, That's this... what I see. I see him as a teething, teething, teeming, seething pot of anger, but pretending, but pretending to be all nice and poor me and poor me, and then when he gets the opportunity, it's come, literally all coming out Which of I him think as is a electric. Great... Like way of introduce, it was really good. I felt the bad guy, like, absolutely. Coming, like, and but he never was angry enough for me. Like he never fully, the way he portrayed it, he was still like, "You need me," even in the even at the height of his power. And we forgot to say he's like he's like Spider Man's super fan. He's like yeah. he loves Spider Man. Like that that's his. So Spider Man pays attention to him, to him one time on accident, and he like goes with that and. Because he's too needy. Yeah, very needy. <laughs> but that's the scene in Central Park. Uh, not Central Park. Times Square. Central Park's very, very close. close to Times Square. Yeah. Yeah. But um, I have to say, it's one of my favourite parts in a superhero movie. Cause, and a lot of it was down to, and we just watched an extra on this, the music. It was the whole package. Like I was like, this looks amazing. Like The special effects are actually really good in this part when he does... Agreed. When he slams in on the cars off, you know, he uses his powers. And I felt, oh my god, his powers are really bad. Like, he can he can take out a whole city with this power. It's like a... Mm. But, you, um, would, you would think so. 
<laughs> but I felt danger, and they do this thing with the music, and I, I thought it was amazing, and I didn't expect this. Hans Zimmer does the score here, and what you would expect from a Hans Zimmer score, because it's what he does, and I like Hans Zimmer a lot, Man of Steel. It's an amazing score. It's like a classical, and it wells up. But this doesn't do that, and it is and it is Hans Zimmer. It goes down. Yeah, it it's it digs it's classical. Deep, like, it digs in your gut. It's got this classical music playing, and it's you're like, oh, okay, it's it's, Hans it's Zimmer. operatic actually. It's yeah. an opera. But I mean, it feels like a score of a superhero movie, and then Electro comes into the picture, and he starts to do his thing, <laughs> and the whole of your room, it's like you can feel. I said to you, it's powered by dubstep, obviously, <laughs> yeah. because whenever he does something, it feels like well, dubstep actually comes out of the speakers. It's um. It's a mixture of, of opera and dubstep. And then the the most amazing part of the whole thing, and I've never seen this before or heard this before, is in the rear speakers of of your, if you're watching this in surround sound, I think you might miss it on just a normal if you're watching it through speakers. I don't think you'd hear that stuff. Yeah, I think you would. But you really do in the surround sound. And there's this whispering of a voice inside Electro's head telling him that Spider-Man's his enemy, He's, he's lied to you, and it's like the whole thing stuck together. It's like this amazing... Like I was... This is what superhero movies are about. They've got this right. This Maybe maybe the whole movie's not right. But examining this, this the bias. making of a bad guy, at least in the in the instant. And it's really... It's like a subtle thing, and I was like... What? I didn't think whoa. it was subtle. No, I mean, it's... It kind of you don't know it's coming. It just sneaks up on you. It's like, whoa. Like, it's like you're inside Electro, and you're feeling his... Emotion, but and then you know, then there's a big special effects sequence where Spider-Man fights him. But um, that whole sequence there got me excited for like a, watching a Spider-Man movie again. You know, like I was thinking back over the Spider-Man movies. Was there any big moment like that where it really tickled my? I think they wanted it to be with uh, the Sandman, that yeah, one and did, the though. Venom guy. It just wasn't. It didn't feel the same, did it? No. It was more cartoony. But this really, I was that that was. The opening sequence and that sequence, I was like, this is Spider-Man. This is me watching a Spider-Man movie. This is what I want from a Spider-Man movie. Are we going to do the big spoiler? Maybe not. No. I mean, if you've read the comics, I guess you know, but we won't say it. But that also was one of those, like, oh. Yeah, so that's what I'm saying. This movie's got really memorable moments. I wouldn't forget this one. When we go in to watch Spider-Man <laughs> What are you trying to say? <laughs> what I'm saying is, it's, it's not... I, like, I heard bad about this. People saying... Yeah, it's just whatever. There's memorable moments in this movie. If you're a Spider-Man fan, if you like the character of Spider-Man, there's some big things in it. Like I think that my complaint is that it's elements. It's like ingredients that are individually good. But all together, it starts to feel not well put together as a story. There's no story here. Well... You know what I mean? That's, that's well, a bit strong. No, I mean, there's no... There's Spider-Man and a bad guy. And even Oscorp's overall, if there's an arcing story, that doesn't exist. I mean, it's hinted at, but you don't get any any real story about it. All this is is a series of scenes that accomplish something in the moment. And that's the way I look at it. Like, we have this little slice of this person's life, which is, oh, now he's going to encounter Electro. And he's going to deal with emotions to do with his woman. 
and then we're done. And then there's no story in there, and like to me. Electro's not the only baddie in the movie either. <laughs> there never is just one so in Spider-Man, the, is there? The Green Goblin also returns. Um, like, not, not returns to this series, but re- returns, you know, in general. But um, but that's oh, that was one of my complaints, that last bit, other than the... It was really lame to me, that whole fight scene. He looked I, horrible. I thought... I didn't think I thought Green that. Goblin looked really unconvincing and cheap compared you know I, if you think about electro and the that you're convinced that 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 thing is existing in the three like it's you're buying it and then we go backwards well to yeah this th- cartoony think, too much makeup that doesn't make 100 percent sense really i think that's the issue i had right there's the the fight in the power station he has this awesome fight with Electro, like a really big, massive, yeah. like, balls-out fight with special effects galore. The whole thing, you know, is huge. And then, you know, he fights Electro, and then Electro's no, you know, Electro's not, no fighting anymore. And then the big thing is like, oh, here comes the Green Goblin. Now, yeah, that does, to me, because I loved Electro so much, it was so well presented and the whole thing was awesome. But it kind of went... Green Goblin was well, like... Nah, he's nothing compared to Electro. Electro exactly. was way more interesting. Like, and Electro... Electro should have been the main thing, like, rather than being the side thing. The side dish, almost. Oh, I just... I think he was the main thing. I think the Goblin was the side dish. That's why it seems so unimportant. Well, the Goblin's, me. like, more important in terms of, like, Spider-Man. Like, you know, he's the one who crops up throughout the story. The Electro. thing is, though, the only reason they're doing him now is to have him later. Yeah. So you're all you're doing is you're not... You're still not telling a story. You've plunked a character into this little series of events just so that you can have him later. Because you don't want to go through the bother of creating him again. So you're creating him now so that next time we meet him, he can be the Electro of the movie. And it's quite And I find that cheap and lazy. And I understand comics might work that way. Like on the last page. They definitely do. You might open it and you might turn the page and be like, whoa, who's the guy made out of trees or whatever it is. And and then you're like, holy shit, I can't wait till the next one. I don't operate that way. I see this as a movie, like a thing of its of its own, like a little chunk. And it has no... That was my main complaint, other than some of the CGI. I just feel like they just... They whimper out on it sometimes, you know? The standard of whoever's con- checking off on that last little scene here and there. Now, is per- like, no. Personally, I don't know if it's like... I, just because I love Spider-Man so much, I, I've got a history with Spider-Man for my entire life, right? And I really is one is I think he might be my favorite superhero as in terms of superheroes. It's the one I was introduced to first, I think. So, I I give this a lot of passes. Yeah, I was watching it going, yeah, I think that looks really rubbery dolly. But I was like, no, Spider Man is swinging through the streets. It's awesome. Like, like the little boy inside me was saying that, you know. So, all yes, I could I could sit and go, uh, yeah, that was a bit dodgy. That was a bit ropey. But I enjoyed the whole thing. It was, it was, it was actually Captain America two last week. I really enjoyed also. Um, that was a really awesome film. But this Spider Man, I don't know. There was something about it that really caught. So me. you're biased a bit already, regardless of the movie. You're going to be lean toward liking it, not necessarily because you didn't like Spider Man three. I don't think. And I didn't much. really like. The last amazing spot. I liked parts of it, but there was definitely parts where I was like, oh, really? That's... And this one's the same. There are parts that are really good, but yeah. as a whole... I thought there were more parts that were good for me. Like, there were... it. 
it felt like I said to you when it had finished, it felt like really like lots happened. Like there was a lot in that movie, you know, it was chocker with stuff. And then there was some big emotional bits and there was some. And it's funny because I think of like three things happened. They just happened to take up a lot of scenes and that's how movies are. I know, but I felt it very distinctly. Oh, we need to address this. And then we're going to do that, and then this, and that's it. There's some quite funny scenes in this movie. There's a scene where um, I felt like it might have been improvised a little bit, but it's um, Andrew Garfield talk, uh, trying to do his laundry. Yeah, yeah. And he's talking to Aunt May. And it felt really natural, the conversation. It didn't feel like a script. Like, there was parts of it where I was like, they're just messing with each other. And there was another scene with, um, I can't remember what it was, a bit later on. Where they're talking, oh, where he goes on a date with her, and they stood by, yeah, the, by yeah. the trees. That felt to me like, oh, they're just, they, they've just. See, I think because those scenes were quite substantial, and in the moment they were fine, but they don't, they're not telling any of the story. They're not doing anything except a, a, a brief conversation. When you're telling a story in a movie. Everything that happens should be part more of the story. I don't feel like those were. We've established that he loves her. Right? That they love each other. That and they he have, loves his aunt. And that they have difficulties because she's aware that he's Spider-Man and he loves her but wants to keep her out of danger. We get it! We don't need four scenes to tell us that over and over and over. But I but enjoyed those scenes. I know, but they don't do anything. That's why when I walk away, I see it very compartmentalized in that I can take that scene, it was fine, but throw it away and the movie doesn't isn't harmed by it. The story doesn't but if you take away, even if you took Electro out of there completely, if you think about it, there's no story there. There's no story other than we want to tell the world of Spider-Man, so we're going to give you little tiny bits Yeah, I mean, it's just Electro's, like, his arc in the comics, it's that, but abbreviated. Right, and I think that, you know, where I'm not a huge, I don't love the franchises, but I'm becoming more acclimated to the idea that movies can be translated into, like, a TV series type of thing, okay? I'm ta- I'm starting to accept this. However, each movie has to be a complete and utter story in and of itself to me. Every single one of them. Not a bridge to the next one. Not like, well, let's introduce five things and kind of sort of da-da-da and then cliffhanger. No. It needs to be its own thing that makes me want more of the story, but I feel completely satisfied. That's what Captain America... Does for me. I mean, the of, Marvels ones do that those, really well. Yeah, each of those stories has a has, there's a big arc. Obviously, they all there's the whole together. Shield and Hydra. I mean, there's that's just the world they live in, right? Because there's always going to be a bad guy and there's always going to be the good guys. But inside of each of those is even more of a story and individual stories that have their whole entire life inside of that movie, and that's where I feel like I'm getting a story told to me. In Opposite, and no, Spider-Man doesn't do that. I get, we already know, it's established very quickly that he loves her. You don't have to know any of the world before. Boom. They love each other, but it's difficult. There was, and that's it. That's the whole of their story. There was one point in The Amazing Spider-Man 2 where I thought that it had become part of the Marvel Universe, the, the, the cinematic universe, <laughs> where I thought, I, I was like, Oh, hold on. They were talking to... There was some guys in black in the back of a car talking to each other. And I was like, hold on. These are these are not Oscar people. These are S.H.I.E.L.D. And then I was like, oh, no, no they're not S.H.I.E.L.D. I mean, that could have been a way... 
apparently there's talks going on between... The problem, why Spider-Man doesn't appear in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, the one that Disney makes, is because the rights are at Sony. And there's then, you know, they don't want to give them up. So Spider-Man can't be in those movies, and the Avengers and stuff can't be in these movies. So they're separate units. You know, yeah, separate. but when you bring that in with you, I don't think that says much for the story you're watching. Because you're still bringing in other things, instead of it just being its own thing. That's my complaint about them. Almost always. That you have to brought with you. Either having read all the comics, or seen all the movies, or know about Spider-Man. In order to feel something for these things that are happening. I feel for Electro. Because I see him as a person. I see him develop into this thing. And then there's a fight to see if we can destroy him. I get it. That's contained, right? But the rest of it, it's just like... I have to have brought prior knowledge of this world with me on a lot of it to feel anything. And to, like you feel like, it's not. It's part of the whole big story. Yeah, I know it's a big story. And thought, but I want it know, to be its when, own when story. He said, <laughs> when he said, um, Norman Osborn said, you know, he's, he's taking Osborne? over Osborn. He's taking over his father's company and he's at the board of directors table and he says, let Felicia have. I was like, Felicia. Yeah, but you know, see, I don't know nothing. And you wouldn't know if Witcher nope. is, but if you're and a fan of comics... It know. doesn't matter that you told me afterwards, I don't give a shit. If you don't explain to me who she is in that movie, in the context of that story, I shouldn't have to know that. That shouldn't be something that I have to bring to their movie to make it interesting. But there are little Easter eggs for the comic fans, is what I'm saying. There, there's stuff in there where, if you're a comic fan... Right, but it's but completely... It's completely like, understandable a, what it all is. But it, it isn't, because if it's... If she's dropped in there and everybody's supposed to go, oh, it's Felicia. And people like me have, and it's, it's a huge part of him and his story. And it means absolutely, I mean, not only nothing to me, she's just a girl. I'm like, nothing to me. It's just a, a huge young part one. of Spider-Man's story. Right. Lost on me completely. Therefore, that part of it, see, when you see her and you hear her name, you just flooded in a whole bunch of stuff that I didn't, I don't have, I'm not privy to. It's like when I say about the Hunger Games. You've read all the books, so every image, every idea, everything that they refer to with, like, one little line, all that imagery comes flooding into your head, and you've just filled in. It's like, for you, you've just, you've filled in that blank spot. For me, it stays a blank spot, because I don't fully know why this is important or what that is. That's part of my complaint, usually, about franchisey things, is that it needs to just be wholly and complete, unless I 100% know, oh, we're going to be three movies no matter what, and then I can, I'm can. i starting to get... No, I don't accept it. I don't accept that a movie has to rely on its two follow-up movies to be a whole story. No. Not really. And, the, and there is a third one coming, obviously. I right. Mean, they even, I mean, it's even set up to be a third one. But yeah, that's officially announced. So, let's move on to the cast here. Andrew Garfield plays Peter Parker again. I think he's actually really good as Peter Parker. I liked him in The Social Network a lot. And I think he pulls it off perfectly. He's a 30-year-old being a, like you say, a Yeah, he didn't pull up being an 18-year-old. I don't know I don't what question it. Like, I don't... I was instant. I was like, seriously, is it their college graduation? I can buy it. No, it's their high school graduation. For some reason, I don't even I think like, of it. holy shit. Like, I'm, I, like, ages don't really occur to me a lot. Yeah, I know. You're not a good uh, judge of age, which is why you give them a pass. But I really, I really like him as Spider-Man. I think he's got... When he's not Spider-Man, when he's Peter Parker, I think he's actually got a lot... 
But he's not an 18, 19 year old dude. No, not that, but I mean, that's what he's as supposed far to be. of the emotion and the way he is, I feel he pulls it off from the wise, you know, when he's spied on to be a wise quipping superhero yeah. to a troubled teenager slash 30 year old. But it's. It's a shallow kind of troubled, you know? It doesn't feel like it's the depths of him. And I, I don't I don't know what to attribute that to. And um, Emma Stone plays Gwen Stacy again. I like her so... I like her a lot. And so does Andrew. Because <laughs> <laughs> they're a real-life couple. And I think that shows. Um, I know you don't like Hollywood these things. No. But they are a real-life couple. But I think that scene when they're on a date... There's ke- you know when you say there's chemistry between people, and sometimes you'll but watch... But again, you're bringing that from the outside Yeah, I know, but world. sometimes you'll watch some movies, and it's just flat. Like, you don't feel anything True. between two people. I felt like they feel vibrant together. And I, I'm like you say, yeah, they probably are bringing that from the outside world. No, you are. No, and they are, too. <laughs> they are, too. They can't help it. Yeah, they but it shouldn't, it should, I shouldn't rely on the fact that I know they're a couple. Right, and you don't have to, but there's definitely a... Well, you do, because you're adding that to that scene. I don't have that to add to the scene, so I just take it for what it is. Right, but you definitely feel like they... Not necessarily. I feel like they were two actors who just are getting along pretty well in the scene. And she's funny in this. I was surprised there's some funny parts that she has to do where I was like, you know, and they do. You, The reason you think you compare things a lot. So Mary Jane wasn't very funny. And I'm sure you're comparing her to Mary Jane. Kirsten Dunst. <laughs> yeah. Mary Jane was a fucking downer, man. I never liked Mary Jane. I wish she had fallen off of every bridge and every building and every tall thing that they put her on. And didn't get saved. <laughs> the only thing I... And Not Kirsten Dunst. Mary Jane. Yeah. Um, the only thing with Emma Stone. I prefer Emma Stone with her own hair color. I don't like her with her bleached hair. It, it, it just seems really... I thought she was blonde. No, she's not. She's got, like, reddish hair. But, um, obviously, uh, Gwen Stacy is not a reddish hair person, so. Is Mary Jane a reddish hair person? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's that's probably the difference. So, um, Dane Dehane plays the Green Goblin. And you, if you're a movie watcher, you might know this guy from this. There's a movie called A Place Amongst the Pines, which I really loved. It was one of my favorite movies of that year, with Ryan Gosling. It's like a heist slash, it's a Interesting movie. The third section of that movie, this guy plays a troubled teen in there. It's also been in True Blood. What did you think of him in here as a Harry Osborn Green Goblin? I didn't really like him. I thought he was... Do... Like... There's this, like, shallowness sometimes when people are doing a part where they're doing what's expected. You're a rich... You feel abandoned by your father. You have this company at your fingertips, and now you're going to be a dick about it. Oh, okay. And then that's what they do. There's no... It's all there on the surface. It's very... It's it's two-dimensional, I would say. Yes. That's the quick way of saying what I was saying the long way around. He is probably fine, but then when they turned him into the Green Goblin, it was actually so distracting that I would have turned it off. If I was watching... It was just awful. If I looked awful, uh, no, I know no. he's supposed to look bad because he's ill. He looks sick, yeah. But the way they had him, the way his body moved, it was all really And bad. I have none of those complaints. His right. hair was really fu- awful. It was like, I'm going to Halloween party and I'm going to... toxic, gonna, and I'm, sick. 
Yeah, then he should have been bold. It should have all fallen out. <laughs> it shouldn't be like this weird. We want to try to be like the comic book and make his hair all swirl up. But then we've got this short wiggy hair that we've put on him and sprayed it with so much hairspray that even when Spider-Man is punching the shit out of him, his hair stays like a helmet head. And it was like, I don't know why. It was so distracting and possibly because... I've just needed to go through the whole process of Electro, and you're kind of still absorbing that. And then, boom, there he is. And then it was like, he's not, he's not. (laughs) Not that he's not Electro. Electro, I bought it. I totally bought it. I liked the way he looked. I liked, you know, I do have the same complaint about Electro, though. You know, remember last week when I said the Winter Soldier? Really menacing, really scary, really kind of dark thought of this sort of cybernetic bad guy who's, you know, Captain America, but the bad guy, right? Mm -hmm. But then when you just put him in comparison to cars and trucks and people, he just blends in. And so Electro, in the with the electricity and all that, and then all of a sudden he's this little teeny tiny thing up in the air. And I felt like, oh, I want him to be like Blue Man from, (laughs) is it Fantastic Four? No, Watchmen. Oh, yeah. The big guy. I want him to be, like, grow <laughs> exponentially and be, like, this big, humongous thing. But then all of a sudden, I'm switched over to Green Goblin, who... I just... I would rather have that... Have, if you'd cut that and put it before the Electro fight, right? And then had the Electro fight. Imagine the emotions then, combined with how much more angry and everything he could have been. See, I just what, think. what I liked about this guy's... Because, of course, I'm a professional uh, film editor, so I should make these decisions. This guy's portrayal of that of Osborne, what I really liked about him was he's always been, like, sli- like slightly sleazy. Like, yes, his friends, Peter Parker and him are friends, but there's something a bit off to him. And Not in this movie. Yeah, I, I even felt it. I felt none of that. When, he's, when he went out talking by the river with um, Peter... There's still some. There's something a little bit off about him, and I thought he played that right. It's like subtle. So you're bringing other Harry Osborns in with you. So what I'm looking at him as, I'm just trying to think. There's nothing to him except he's poor me. My daddy didn't love me as much as he loves his company. I got. I had to travel around the world. Poor me and feel bitter. And now my I get everything, and I'm gonna be a jerk. I mean that's exactly. It's as shallow as that, isn't it, to me? Um, Jamie Foxx plays Electro. We've discussed him at the beginning. It was probably my favourite thing in the movie. I think that, too, unfortunately, I think he brings the little, like, his face and stuff. I'm sure he was completely CGI'd up there at some point. Yeah. But they used his own his own face, obviously. And he brings certain little, little like, when he says to the guy when they're, when he's with Osborne, and he's like, you know, I need you. And he's like, and his face kind of goes all sad again, and he's totally electric. And you but he's realize like, that there's yeah, a man in there. exactly. The- but then, I think the editing let him down a lot, particularly in the big scene with the billboards and stuff. They didn't get... We could see him doing stuff and bodies flying around, but we didn't get... You could tell in the extras, because I was thinking, like, I want to see him, like, you know, his motions, and you didn't really get to see that as much up close. Um, is a person in this movie uh, who plays Alexi. <laughs> Let me just tell you. Okay. For all of... I've known you for 15 years. 16 years almost. And you've always liked this guy. Because when we first saw Howard Stern's movie, Private Parts. Pig vomit. He was pig vomit. And you loved him. And you've loved him and wanted to see everything he's in. And my favorite movie with him in is Sideways. Yeah. And you... 
you've just always been, you know, Paul Giamatti, Paul Giamatti. We watched him in the our cancer year or whatever it's called. Well, not our cancer year, but when he played that. Yeah. 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 American Splendor. Yeah. Yeah. So you've always, and he's easily identifiable because he's one of your favorites. And so I'm watching this whole movie and the beginning and I'm like, oh, wow. Wow. That's going to be exciting for him because look who it is. It's Pig Vomit. Because that's what he's called in Howard Stern's movie. We get to the very end of the movie and the credits are rolling and you go, Paul Giamatti? <laughs> I didn't know. I said, <laughs> and I'm like, what the hell? I didn't see him in it at all. I, I was... But it's just him. All he is is fatter. I know. I don't know. A little I just, bit fatter. It, it was just like it didn't twig at all. And then it was like, of course it's him. <laughs> <laughs> like when we saw the extras and I was you like... You have to watch it again because as soon as he's facing yeah, no, the screen, you're going to be like... But I went through the whole movie th- just thinking that was a generic bad guy at anybody. I didn't know if that was... That is... I love that. I love that. Because you often call me up when you're how can you not know who that is? How I can no you not remember her from this movie? I'm like, because I don't know. So he did it. his whole performance and it went totally by me that it was him. But the thing is, does that make him a that fantastic makes him amazing, actor? He's completely disappeared. <laughs> um, Sally Field plays Aunt May again. She's really good. I like her. She's the perfect Aunt May for me. She um, She's quite funny again. Like, there's some funny, and then there's some. She's relaxed a lot over the years. I've been watching her since Smoking the Bandit and since the, so the before that, since Gidget. I mean, I've watched her from the time she was a teenager. Yes, they were reruns when I was watching them, people. I'm not that old. But she got pretty hi- hi- hyper in the middle of her career there where she you could feel her sort of actressiness. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I know. Mean, yeah. But then on Lincoln... It all kind of She's goes amazing away. In Lincoln, yeah. And then this time, I felt like even though Aunt May is not exactly like a big challenge or anything, I don't think it's not a character kind of acting. But she let it all go again, and she was just Aunt May. And I, I actually, like you, for a second, I didn't forget she was Sally Field, but she really melted into it. Um, I really liked, it. and it's just it's not a huge part, really. But he's we're we're meant to know that she's important to him obviously and when she's saying to him i fed you i took care of when you were sick that was my favorite scene like she couldn't bear to think he was somebody else's kid yeah like like even though she acknowledges that the his parents have died now what was the deal uncle because they're parkers so it would have been the uncle ben and the father were brothers right right so then imagine that It'd be like if someone brought my nieces and nephews here, and then I died, and you were raising them. Yeah. That's what it's like. But she's taking him on. And that's that's the most connected scene in the whole movie for me. So this is directed by Mark Webb, who also directed The F- Amazing Spider-Man. And he directed 500 Days of Summer, which I still haven't seen, and I really want to see, so we need to get on that. I've got I mean, I've got it. We just get on seen. it. We need to watch just it. Just watch it. No, we should both watch it, because uh, he... he um, we are not the same person. We don't have to watch everything together. He used to be a music video director, so it's, it it's, it shows why he cares about music so much. There is an yeah. extra on the on the Blu-ray where he talks about the music, um, and the actual editing and the way the movie's cut is very fast moving. There's a pace to it. It feels like it's moving to that me. That explains some of the shallowness, though, to me. Right, but. He's got an eye. The visuals in this movie are spectacular. There's an, you can't not always, I've, not always. I think it all looks spectacular. I, not spectacular. Yeah, it, it might be a spectacle, but it doesn't look spectacular. I think it does. I I, I thoroughly enjoyed the, how everything looked. I think, you I, can enjoy it. 
and it can look really good, but I think spectacular should maybe be reserved for something else. I don't know if it was spectacular. I thought Rise of the Planet of the Apes was also spectacular in a different way. I mean, so uh, you're Dawn, just using that word loosely. <laughs> I'm just using it how I feel. It was, it it all looked apart. There was nothing, even the scenes which are you know, just in the Oz Osborne building. Everything looked really the part, but there again, this is a huge budget movie. Everything looks. There is no shortcuts in this movie. Eh, disagree. That CGI stuff. I mean, yeah, but I don't have that Spider-Man problem. body. Yeah, but you don't deny that it's there. Right. You just give it a pass. So, um, the Blu-ray here, um, this is interesting, actually. They sent me, um, this is like an exclusive packaging that you can't see. It. It's really heavy. But it's called Magno, it. Magno packaging. It's like new packaging for um, Blu-rays. I think they're only going to do it for, like, special movies, though, not for everything. But um, this is only available at Best Buy. You can only get it at Best Buy. Everywhere else, you'll just get a normal case. But um, it comes with, like, a Spider-Man comic, which is kind of cool. But the actual case, which I can't show you, but I can explain to you, it's like, it's, the reason it's called Magno Packaging is it uses... Let me a, guess, because it has a magnet. A magnet to keep it together, and... <laughs> It's got really cool art. I, I can't do that. The printing and the artwork in this looks amazing. Well, it should, because it's the Amazing Spider-Man. But it's like a gatefold sleeve, and then the, the discs are on the inside. I don't know if it's amazing. It just looks it's like the, every other The actual box. printing is really good. There's, there's, like, there's like layer upon layer. Like It's like it's sandwiched, like like a layer of clear, and then another layer, and then another layer, then another layer. You can see all the different layers. It's really hard to explain, and it's kind of metallic. The whole thing's metallic. You... But um, it's new packaging. I kind of like this packaging because it's um, thinner than a regular Blu-ray case. So you'll get more of them on your shelf if they actually went with this. Um, it's quite heavy. It feels, like, substantial. It's it's new. But yeah, you can only get it at Best Buy. If you go anywhere else, you won't get that. I like it. You're not. You don't care about packaging, nope. but as a collector, I like that kind of. If you've of never packaging. listened to this show before, I couldn't care less if you tried to pay me to care less about the packaging because I think it's like me coveting the package of a new pencil. I'm going to take that pencil out and use it. I'm never going to. I don't give a shit about the cover. I don't care about the package, do I? I just right. don't care. And I'm a big fan of. Like, but you're going to cool put it on the things. right. But you stick it on a shelf downstairs, in the dark, and we never revisit it unless you go down there to add another DVD, then you might pull them out and go, oh, that's cool. I revisit it. I re-watch movies. I watch movies with commentaries. I understand, but the cover has no impact on that. Right. Well, I like it. It's a little bit of an extra thing um, when you buy it, when you're paying so much for a Blu-ray. So, there are extras. So, you're saying you should get more packaging for your money. Should get a better, like, collectible piece. How about cheaper movies? Um... I would like cheaper movies, but... With when... no packaging. Yeah, that would be fine, too. You mean digital download? Anything other than something that has to come in a package. I mean, I, w- I don't want a digital download, because downloading is annoying. I want um, I want the movie... Like, if we, if I say I want to watch Spider-Man, I want to just get the Spider-Man and watch it. Don't want to have to download it or, you know, wait for it to download. So, no, I, I want... I still think my idea of... Maybe it exists. I don't know. Kiosks in stores like Walmart, where you can go get your pictures printed and all that kind of stuff now, right? Where Or the coin place, where you can dump your coins in and get your money out. Stick or, it on a USB stick. Not just USB stick, but, I mean, they can make something proprietary. It doesn't have to be USB, does it? 
It should be, because then it would fit in your computer or whatever. Redbox. But where does you that, get what? I mean, you could go to Redbox and it, get, it dispenses you a disc. And That's not what I'm talking about. Your own thing that you buy, like you go to oh. Walmart or go to Best Buy or whatever, and it's like a thing. Like, it looks like this. Like, or it could be part of your cell phone, whatever. And then you can go to the kiosk, get your movies, and all right. that will be on there. So, so you don't a have digital to download, download that you don't have to actually download on you your You can own. both. You can get it at home if you want. But if you have a cap like we do, or you want to go to the store because you you're at the store and you're like, oh, yeah, shit, yeah. I'll buy this for five bucks. And you download it onto your phone and... And you think five books is fine for a movie? Absolutely. For a download? Yeah, that's yeah. Pretty, pretty much it. Well, no, no. For the experience of watching a movie, I think $5 is reasonable. I do not think anything more. It's a it's two hours of your life. It is entertainment. It is not precious. It's not that valuable in terms of money. So, yeah, I think $5 is totally... If they spend $150 billion million on it, that is totally not my responsibility. That's their choice, not mine. So there are some extras on this Blu-ray. Quite a few, actually. Way better than there was on Captain America last week, where it was really, like, pared down. But on this one, you get... um, It's actually a three-hour documentary. We watched, like, a portion of it. But it's it's all in pieces. Um, We watched the one about the three different villains in this movie. But it it takes everything, and it quite, you know... It's quite good, actually. It kind of confirmed some of what I thought about that guy as the Green Goblin, that he wasn't comfortable, that he wasn't giving his full self in that fight. He said it was really hot in there. He was too hot, and they both acted a little bit diva-ish, in my opinion, about their stunts and about the heat, and it's just terrible, isn't it, being in a big movie and being said it was 110 degrees in that room. Right, well, a lot of people work in the heat, and they're not making some fluffy movie somewhere. They're roofing a house or feeding people or farming. So, yeah, I don't have a lot of sympathy. I'm sorry. I know it's hard, but I don't. And he, it showed. I think it showed. I think that it was obvious that there was something going on there. So this extra, the the, the documentary, is called The Wages of Heroism, Making the Amazing Spider-Man 2. And it's in. you can watch it in part, so you can watch the whole thing. There's also filmmaker's commentary. There's four deleted scenes. One of them is like, well, there's actually nine deleted scenes on the Blu-ray and then four on the DVD. One of the deleted scenes, which is uh, Peter meets his father, which um, I, I was quite interested in it. I liked yeah. it. I me. Totally, um, I thought it was totally irrelevant. Yeah, yeah, it was to the mo- If it was in the movie, I don't think I'd like it. But as a deleted scene, it was actually interesting. Like sometimes deleted scenes are just nothing. It's just like always oh, a different version. This is actually a whole plot point. It was, and I liked it. But I wouldn't have liked it in the movie, but yeah. I liked to see that it was, they explored that and it, they decided not to do it. It was like the right decision. Um, there's also Alicia Keys, it's on again music video. Uh, and also in, ju- during that long documentary, we watched another piece which was about the music of the movie, which I said, this has a really awesome soundtrack. It's not what you would expect. It's not like, yeah, there are some songs in there, but it's, it's more the actual soundtrack, the score of it. And, I was really pleased to learn that Johnny Marr from The Smiths was actually part of it. He did the guitar uh, for this piece, the big piece that I love in the middle of it. Pharrell also um, helped with it, uh, Hans Zimmer and Alicia Keys. So it's like a combination of stuff. Johnny Marr, I was like, why? Johnny Marr doesn't seem to fit, but he must have seen something or, you know. I mean, he is one of the greatest guitarists, but... If you need good guitar, you, that's if you need good. money. You're gonna work on a movie, aren't you? I mean, Johnny Marr's very a very 
specific, exclusive and specific type of dude. This, to me, if I, if you said, "Oh, Johnny Marr do Amazing Spider-Man 2, I'd be like, "Nobody else." He would never. He doesn't do that kind of thing, you know. If gone look back at what he's done, so I was like, "Why?" And there was no explanation, mm-hmm. unfortunately. So I have to have a look into that. But the Smiths, one of my favorite bands from the eighties. Uh, Morrissey's still making albums, the lead singer. Um, Johnny Marr was the guitarist of the Smiths. Um, Morrissey, hardcore vegan, by the way. Militant vegan. An awesome singer. Just so you know. <laughs> Just so you know. So, in conclusion, The Amazing Spider-Man 2, I had an absolute... I thought... It, it was an entertaining two hours, absolutely. Yeah, really out. entertaining. Yeah, yeah. If you're in, if you like, you know, superhero movies like we watched last week, it's exactly a, what... It's a superhero movie. I felt like I watched the story of Electro... Yeah. And I didn't get enough of Electro, and I got too much of the Green Goblin. If you chopped him out and let me develop Electro a little bit more, even. I think a little break, too, from Electro. Like, have him go off and have some time pass. You know, like Doc Ock? There's sort of like this, holy shit, here he is, and then he retreats, and then holy shit, here he is again. I think that has a better rhythm than, here's the bad guy, da-da-da, here's another bad guy. So, Amazing Spider-Man 2, you can get it now. Um, I had a lot of fun. I had fun. So, thanks to Marvel slash Sony for that one. Uh, if you want to enter a contest, go to ascoli.com. We've got some contests, some new ones coming up. We've got a new movie that you can win on Blu-ray called Very Good Girls. Um, you'll be able to win that from Monday. Just go to ascoli.com. Me? Else? Are you talking to me? Because I'm not allowed to win. No. Um, next week's Blu-ray movie, Blu-ray review is another one, another huge, giant movie from this summer, and it's Godzilla. So we'll be looking at Godzilla next week. Do you like that giant movie? Godzilla. So my uh, recommendations for this week... He better be as big as he is on that box. That's all i got to say. And that's from the movie. That's I don't shot. want a Godzilla that's shorter than even one building. That that's right, it's from the movie. That's fine. I think Godzilla, or any other giant atomic-slash-nuclear... Nuclear creature needs to be bigger than every man-made item on the planet. Unless it's Godzuki. That includes... Little, little Godzilla. That includes Teenage Ninja Turtles, but they're always little, like, people. So, my recommendation based on Amazing Spider-Man 2, and when I said to you, Spider-Man was my first introduction to two superheroes, it was the Spider-Man television show from 1977. Oh, you didn't read the comic first? No, it was oh, the TV right. show. So it used to be on on a Saturday morning because it was cheap. It was really cheap. If you watch it now... Like Batman was. It, yeah, but it wasn't as campy as that one. It was more trying to be serious, but it's martial art. You know, he's fighting. There wasn't really much web swinging because, you know, they couldn't do that. It was a man in a suit and there was no CG back then. But it, it only ran two seasons and I saw all of it. They used to repeat it and I, I couldn't get enough Spider-Man. I, I remember, and I don't remember a lot of childhood stuff... But he had a Spider-Man suit with the, with the thing that you pull over your head. You know, like a... You sure it wasn't pajamas? No, it was an actual fancy dress suit. Like, you get a spaceman or a... It was or a in America, we just call that Halloween costume. Yeah, like that. Fancy dress equals costume. So, Spider-Man TV show from 1977. And my other one is... And I don't know where you can watch that, by the way. I can't find it anywhere. It's not on Blu-ray. It's not on DVD. It must be somewhere. And my other one is Zombieland, and that's because of Emma Stone. I'm just thinking of a really movie that I liked with oh, her. Oh, yeah, I put Adventureland over here. Um, but, yeah, Zombieland, which uh, she's awesome in it, and uh, it also has Bill Murray. 
<laughs> yes. <laughs> and my recommendations are uh, completely unrelated, except in the movie, there was a scene where our Gwen makes it clear that we're in a different era of female characters. It's not She's not 100% Miss Save the Day or anything, Mrs. Ms. Save the Day, but there is a scene where she makes it very clear. You do not have to sit, you're not, you can't, you don't need to protect me all the time. I will choose where I go in life and what I do in life. There's a female character that's not just some... But he fallen off a bridge. Not Mary Jane. Yeah, Mary Jane, who I despise as a character. So, as I looked through my list, I couldn't get inspired for a recommendation, and so I looked through my list on IMDb and found a couple that don't seem to fit in what I'm saying here, but Boxing Helena, which you know is kind of weird. I've seen it several literally times. Literally weird, and it, it visually diminishes a woman from being a whole person to, like, the the parts of a woman that I was thinking of a remake for Boxing Helena these days or a follow-up kind of like Human Centipede style where somebody hears about that and they decide to go one step further now. You know what I'm saying? I mean, imagine it. But how good it could look now. If you don't know what I'm talking about, Boxing Helena, just look it up. I'm not going to tell you. But she's a female character that gets you know, we say women are sex objects. She is reduced to the most basic of physical what your woman could be to a man. And it's really awful. And the other one is Private Benjamin. Because even in the 70s, late 70s, there's Goldie Hawn. The, the move towards stronger women characters, you know. Well, she was not the most strong female character. And she was pretty much fell for every dude. And, you know, she was still sort of a hangover character from the weepy women days, but there's something about her that always stood out to me as an independent person. Not 100%, but it was, it was really good. Private Benjamin. And I think it was remade later, maybe, but it was a TV show later. Right. I know that. But um, the movie with Ellen, not Ellen Barkin, whoever Goldie the soldier lady. No, Goldie Hawn was the lady, but the, the her boot camp major sergeant lady. I can't remember who she was, but I can see her in my oh, face. No. Yeah. I didn't hate that as much as everybody else did. It was pretty good. It wasn't good, but... Rid- Ridley Scott, right? No, oh, I don't know. I think it is. It was sort of superficial as well. You know what you would expect from it was a woman a, trying to It was to like, be we're having a tough female character, so, like, well, think of Ripley. There's a tough female character. Like, you know, like, they, they, they weren't as common back then, were they? Tough yeah, I don't think character. it was about having a tough female character. I think it was about exploiting the idea that a woman cannot 100% fit in with what the toughness of the man's world kind of idea. But that's not my recommendation. Top Gun, Top Gun definitely it's... has elements of that too. <laughs> really? Yeah, because Kelly McGlynnis is hear, like the flight instructor and she uh, she's gorgeous and they all try and hit on her and stuff and it's like she's trying to be tough, uh, like... Mm, but then she's that. reduced to being the love interest of yes. Tom Cruise. I yeah. never liked Top Gun. It's awesome. I'm not, I'm honest. I watched it. I didn't watch it when it came out, and I watched a little bit of it later. And I think I watched it once all the way through. You watched it with me. There you go. It's I awesome. blanked out a lot of it. Not yeah. blanked out. I can see the scenes. As a, as a way to the. I guess I was a teenager when I watched it. It was just like it's like the ultimate teenager. Were we teenagers when it came out. Yeah. Seven. Wow. Um. Yeah. I feel like I was about 16, maybe, 17. 
Wow, and it took me that long to watch it, and then I was never interested. I watched it so much on videotape. I wouldn't watch it again. It well, I will watch it again. In fact, I own it. <laughs> this it makes conversation me want to watch makes it you want to. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, it's good. It was good. 1986. We were 18 years old. I was 18. I wasn't. We were 17. That's what I said I was, 17, teenager. <laughs> uh, so it was the perfect movie when I was a teenager. I went to the cinema and watched it, and it was like planes and motorbikes and, you know, cool people. Awesome. Ma- uh, Val Kilmer being really weird. He's like weird in it. Uh, when is he not weird? <laughs> <laughs> when, when since 1986 has Val Kilmer not been weird in a movie? So moving on to games and Ace Scully stuff. I've been playing a couple of games this week. The first one is Infamous First Light. It's the DLC for Infamous. Talked about it last week, but it hadn't come out yet. And now it has come out. And I've played it all the way through. And I would say... It's cool because it's the origin story of the a character called Fetch that you play, that you don't play. She's in Infamous Second Son. Well, you play as her this time, and it's her origin story. And it ends, when you finish it, at the beginning of Infamous. So it tells you exactly how Infamous came to be and why she is a part of it, which which is not answered in the main game. Um, it's really cool. It's very short. Um... The actual story will only take you about two hours to get through, but it is only a DLC. Um, but there are a load of collectibles, and you know, like orbs from Crackdown, those mm-hmm. are cool. You run around and collect orbs. Well, Infamous First Light has a version of those, so I spent a good three or four hours just running around the rooftops getting these glowing spheres that are all over the place. That always makes me happy. I like that in a game. Every game should have like you have to collect a hundred things because. Something inside me. It's satisfying collecting them all. You know? There's a hundred things. You don't really know where they all are. Go and find them. Like but a you scavenger. Want, oh, it has to be an open world game. Yeah. Go and yeah. Run, run around and find them. And maybe they're hard to find, but it's cool. Because, uh, like, I don't know. Something in me. I want to do that. Um, so I played that. That's pretty cool. It's out now on PlayStation 4. The other game I played is... Uh, it was PlayStation Plus. Free games. They do free games on the first Tuesday of every month. And there's a new game called Velocity 2X. Now, you can get it on the PS4 and the PS Vita, <clears throat> and it's cross-play. So, I play a bit on the Vita. You came in here and said to me, why are you playing on the Vita when you've got two big screens in mm-hmm. front of you? Well, I was getting a higher score. Like, I, I'd been playing it on the PS4, and then I'd turned the PS4 off, and I was like, oh, I want to try and get a higher score. So, I just picked the Vita up because it was easier. But you can play on both. And it's free at the moment for a month. But what it is, it's like... um it's a, you saw it and you said that's a really colourful game when you looked at mm-hmm. it. It's like Metroid a little bit, but it's an arcade game. So you're this woman in space and you're collecting things and you're, there's, there's partially bits of it where it's a space shooter. You're flying a ship and you're shooting stuff and you're dodging things. And then there's other part of the game when you dock into space stations where you're a woman on foot, like a space woman. And she's collecting things and stuff as well. But the whole aim of the game is each level, it's like a time trial. So you've got to get the spaceship from the bottom of the screen to the top of the screen, and it scrolls. So it's like going through space. There's obstacles in your way, you've got to teleport, you've got to shoot things. You've got You're to... talking about like a really 2D Yeah, like an old scroller. arcade game. Yeah. Oh, up and down scroller. Up and down when you're in the spaceship, and side to side when you're actually on foot. And those things merge together. Sometimes you have to get out of your spaceship, go inside a ship to find some switches to let you get your spaceship further on, like to open some doors or something. So that's how it 
So the story is very negligible, but the whole thing is like this time trial. It's like, once you've got the mechanics down, can you do it faster and better? And then you, there's a scoreboard and you can compete against your friends. And it sends messages to your friends to say, oh, like, Ace Gully just went faster than you. Can you try it? So it's, it's once you get the hang of the mechanics, it's just really fun trying to shave a few seconds off. You know, like, I'm a bit faster through this. Because... The, the, it doesn't scroll at a certain speed. You can press a button and speed the scrolling up. So your ship, in a normal game like that, would be on a background, and the background would scroll slowly and you'd just travel up the background. You control the background. You can make it go really, really fast, but then you have to dodge everything, like, because it's going so fast. So you can do it really fast if you're, like, some kind of god who's got, like, amazing eyes and, and to a, you know, coordination. So it's Velocity 2X. It's actually free if you're a PlayStation Plus member right now. The download's, like, really tiny. It's, like, 400 megabytes, the whole game. Because it's, like, old school. You've seen it. It's, like, um, it's like something from the Super Nintendo, right? Well, but better, you know. And finally, no more games, but um, we've been watching The Leftovers. I We haven't really mentioned it, and I want to say how much I love that show. I was a bit, at the beginning, I was a bit like, I don't know about this, I don't know about this. But then that Christopher Eccleston episode came up, and then they've had other episodes, and this last episode we saw, which was like a flashback episode, like it confirmed I really like it. You know why I like it? And it's not the premise or anything, it's like I'm really in love with the characters now. Like, I love the the, sher- uh, the chief, his kid, his girl is really awesome, Um, his girlfriend is awesome, There's uh, Christopher Eccleston, I just, I, I care about everybody. And the premise of the show has kind of gone away for me, and I'm just, like, invested in these people now. Kind of like the way you're supposed to be with Walking Dead. You're supposed right. to get to where it's just a drama Yeah. with zombies. But unfortunately, I'm more interested in the zombies. I like the zombies, too. And for Leftovers, I agree. I like the characters, but I'm also more interested in the big story. So. And we also, another I one. I mean, I enjoy it, but... I'm just tiptoeing around a little bit. Sometimes it's a bit. I'm I'm super enjoying it, and I didn't think I would enjoy it as much. I actually looking forward to turning it on every week, and it's the finale this weekend. Um, Like tonight, uh, tomorrow night, and it has got a um, a second season coming up. But we also watched the finale. Well, the last season of True Blood. The finale of it. We did watch the end of True Blood, and I have to say, was that the end? You know what I'm saying? I have to say, and everybody, you know, when I went and had a look, everybody's like, even Cheapy D had said on Twitter, the ending of True Blood was terrible. Now, I agree. The word terrible can be used during the uh, last season of True Blood because it was not good at all. I don't even think it was average. I think it was poor, like, a lot of the time. It's like if you saw, if you (laughs) looked at True Blood on a graph... Yeah, it'd be, it'd be way like, down there. It starts out way up here. Yeah. And then it's kind of da-da-da-da, and then it kind of levels off, and then it went up a little tiny bit, In the and middle. then it started Third going down, and then that was it. There was no saving it. And this last season was just, like, treading water to get to the end of it. That's all it was. That. Yeah. And then we got to the end, we watched the final. I didn't dislike the end. No, the final episode, I actually, that's the thing. As an episode... It was fine. Yeah, it was. It was pandering, though. It oh, was, my God. It was like, oh. You know what it was like? 
You know that poll you took the other day, that survey. Yeah, what would you like to happen at the end of True Blood? Would you like some romance? If you saw, if you saw Bill Compton die or live, how would this make you feel? If you saw Sookie try to kill Bill, how would that make you feel? Would um, you like tw- a 20-minute wedding in the middle of yeah, the episode? Yeah, would you want anyone, would you want a wedding? Are you are you who are you who's your favorite couple that might be brought back? He took a survey the other day, and in the survey it's, it's asking Bob. you every detail about writing the script basically of a newborn movie. Um, do you, all these questions. And I was like, the questions were very specific. It was like, um, if we made a new barn movie, here is a selection of bad guys. Which one would be most interesting to you? And it was like an outline. a Russian, an ally. No, I mean, had an outline. Do you yeah. want him to have a personal relationship with Bourne? Do you yeah. want him to be somebody, blah, 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 blah. Somebody from his past. Somebody, you know. So somebody somewhere has a form. Yeah. That's a script, and they're going. Here's the survey um, results, and then they pick. Oh, they picked A. Well, let's hope that is a D. But that's what that's what it was like watching this episode of True Blood. Was that somebody it had was a blank fun form? The ending. Yeah, it was. It was what people wanted to happen. Kind of happened. I don't think all it all of it was that, but I think so. There was a bunch of it. But somebody took a poll. And that was it. And they did exactly, and I, this is my complaint about True Blood, and they've done it at least three times, and they did it again for a fourth time. They build something up, and then within the space of a minute, they just tear that thing down completely, and then it's gone. Yep. And they did it in this episode, and I was like, really? Is that all it amounts to? That. Yep. And it Almost every nothing. single time. Yep. And then early on, you got longer kind of, and they were kind of interesting, like like the guy, the guy. Well, actually, what's her face? The blondie bad one. We got her entire story, and plus her whole story is interesting from start to finish. It went, but again, there was just this like, ta da, we're done. And I'm a, I don't know if I'm a fan of it. I watched all seven years of it. Am I a fan of it? I watched every single episode. I've never, you know, we've never not seen an, an inch of it. Like we've seen all of it. Here's what I say. The intro oversells it. Yeah. Because the intro and the opening scene of the first episode oversells the entire series. Because the first scene is awesome. You are watching a normal convenience store. Yeah. Some guy comes and grabs this thing called True Blood and you're like, what? And then you instantly understand that in the world that looks just like our world, it's modern, it's now, vampires exist, but not in a cartoony way. And everybody knows it. And then you're like, ooh. And then that opening happens. The da 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 And then the weird images. Everything after that doesn't live up to that. I mean, it's fun and it's kind of like quirky. Was, I The first couple of seasons did live up to it. It was good. Yeah, it, once it we, got really stupid. We established like, about, like their hierarchy about sheriffs yeah. and the queen and stuff like that and the king. I and think then, it was about season four where it lost its way. Like it's progressively got worse from there. Where they up. had the god woman. Yeah, the and then obviously this last season was it was hard to make it through it. It was like this final season of Dexter. I was just like, okay, just get to the end. I now. didn't like last season either because the werewolfy thing was a big theme. Yeah, it was. Yeah, yeah, it was. And that, I didn't that wasn't care. that funny. Mm-mm. Didn't care about Elsie. So True Blood's over. That's the last we will speak of it. It is dead to us. <laughs> Except in ten years, they're going to have a Veronica Mars slash True Blood reunion. New Blood. <laughs> yes. So um, what's for dinner, Sid Talk? Tonight, because my sister works at a grocery store and got me a bunch of rain checks for Morningstar products, as someone seems to think we are sponsored by Morningstar, I wish, because they would always be cheap. So we're going to have some form of Morningstar 
product. on a bun because well, it's food to me. It's not a product, but we have about ten different things. I think or maybe nine different things in the freezer. So that's what we're gonna with yeah, some vegetables. I, and some I don't like spicy food at all. <laughs> yeah. And um, we sat down to was it a morning star thing? Yeah. Which you like thought was a chicken fillet or yep. a chicken? I mean, they're not real chicken. Yeah, we don't eat. If you know, if you don't know, we don't eat meat, and so we just get these. You know, and we're not vegan or anything. But so because Morningstar has egg white. So in it. spicy things to me, but even it's not if it's, chicken. Even if it's the tiniest bit of spice, feels like, like a my mouth. Tiny bit of paprika. Fire. You're just like, <gasps> yeah, it's, it's. I can't explain. I don't like any of it. So I, I oh, this is a chicken thing. It looks like a chicken thing. I cut it and I ate a sizable piece. And then I was like, what's happening? What's happening? <laughs> and, then, and so we traded because yeah. I didn't have that and I loved it. Yeah, I, I don't know. In fact, just, that's what I'll have on my bun. Like I love curry and every, people would say, oh, you, do, you say you don't like spicy food, but it's not about, I have, I have mild curry and it's really about the flavor rather than the spice. It's about all the different yep. flavors. When people think that curry's hot and that's all it is. I don't. It's not that. Because you're wrong when you think about Mexican food. You think the exact same thing about Mexican food. And for all these years, I'm not the greatest one and a half decades, it. I've tried to explain to you, Mexican food isn't hot. Only chilies are hot. You can put chilies on your Mexican plate or on your Indian plate. True. But have you got it now? Like, Mexican food is not spicy. I know it is. I just, I'm just not a massive fan of it. But... No, you'll always say, if I'm going to make Mexican, don't make mine spicy. So, uh, what's your advice before we leave this very hot room? It is hot. I'm I'm dying in here. I'm not dying. I'm hot. Listen to me. I sound like a Hollywood movie star. Oh, I'm so hot. Unfortunately, I won't leave here with a $60 million check in my pocket. My CPU is hot because it's lit up red. It is. It glows red. It's like, Advice is this. If you think you're sheltered in your life, like let's say you're my age, 46, and... People introduce you to ideas or experiences that, and you go like, oh, wow. Like, I've never, you know, I've met people, met, sat in the living room drinking beers with people who believe, speaking of leftovers, who believe the, what's that called? The rapture is coming. Oh, yeah. So they have a stockpile of weapons and food. And training their young children at the time. This would have been 17 years ago. That won't help them. That mama is going to be taken with God when the time comes. But now if you aren't, it's because you've been bad and you're going to have to repent. But if you are left behind, then mama wants you to be prepared. And that means they had food and guns and perimeter things around their property and all this shit. I've met people like that, right? That doesn't influence me that I've had a conversation with them. They're just, they're a family. I think, oh my God, that's fucked up. But I mean, you hang out with them, you barbecue with them, and then you move on. It doesn't influence me. It didn't get me sucked into their world. And then you meet other people who are just all different ways of thinking, right? If I tell a story like that to some people in my life, there's this look or this attitude, because this one was emailing back and forth, of like, wow. Like, I've never met anybody even remotely like that. That, to me, is sheltered, right? And this person's aware of it, admits that I'm sheltered in my life, and she's almost my age. So if you think you're sheltered, you probably are, or you are, definitely. And think about how that filters how you think about the world. And on the flip side of that, 
If you think you aren't sheltered, like you've just seen it all and done it all, and some people might think I come off that way, I completely do not think that. I am totally sheltered as well. I've never been starving. I've never been, like, in war. I've never um, myself had to experience any sort of terminal illness or face the potential of me having a terminal illness, like cancer or anything, like that I'm battling with chemotherapy and stuff like that. Those are things I'm sheltered from in my own body. I've, I've loved people who've dealt with it, but that's not the same. That still means I'm a little sheltered from it because I'm not experiencing it. I don't feel that for the other person. So, and that too shelter, that too filters out, filters the world for you because, you know, we'll never ever comprehend what other people go through. But if you actually intentionally shelter yourself so many things you're never going to understand like and it was kind of spurred by the idea that of a belief now it could be political or religious i have these beliefs and i don't want anything to come into my frame of view or into my ears or into my life that might counter contradict that and my question is is your faith so flimsy or so delicate that it cannot even be you can't even be exposed to, just to, for the knowledge of knowing that this other thing exists, just to add to what you know about life. Like your belief is, should be completely secure. A hundred percent, like a, like a fortress. I am absolute 100%. You can bring it on. Bring every belief on. I want to have a conversation about everything. I want to see, I want to hear every bad thing you have to say about my religion. Because I want to know that my, that it's true to me. Right. If you can peck away my fortress and rip it down, then was it really that strong to begin with? That means you've you've sheltered your you're sheltering yourself from like all these possibilities. So there you go. If you're sheltered, I mean, if you think you aren't, you probably you are. And if you think you are, you're way more sheltered than you probably should be. Unless you're like 12 years old listening to this, in which case your parents should shelter you as much as they want. <laughs> and when you become an adult, then you can crawl out of the shelter and learn all these things for yourself. And don't don't be sheltered when it comes to looking at our websites. Come out <laughs> oh and look God. at them. Do you like that? It's clever. Clever. Was it? No. So uh, you can go to acecully.com, sitter.com. spectacular. You can also catch us on Twitter and Facebook. You can catch this podcast on the oh Zoom gosh. Marketplace, the RSS feed, the iTunes Music Store, or you can go to Stitcher.com and listen to the podcast straight there. I've also put an applet on the front page of ASchoolie.com. You can just click the play button and listen to the latest podcast. You can email feedback to me at ASchoolie.com. Don't email Sitar. She doesn't care. I'm too hot. And I'm too hot right now. Do not email me. I don't even want to touch my mouth. And stay classy, Mr. Spider-Man. You brought me a lot of entertainment over all my years. and I... Wouldn't that just be man? Mr. Man. Mr. Spider-Man. Um, <laughs> and I even have Spider-Man on the wall in this office. You have Kevin Smith's render rendition of Spider-Man featuring... What's her name? What's her name? Black Cat. Black Cat. True. And I'm going to say... What am I going to say? Think... Uh-huh. <laughs> Think for yourself or someone will do it for you. Was that Metal Mickey? Yes. I don't know what that is. <laughs> <laughs>